um, our scripture reading today is from 2 Corinthians um, chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. And now, brothers and sisters, that's you, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches in the midst of a very severe trial. Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urge Titus, just as he earlier made a beginning to bring us also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. A few weeks ago, I was watching a swim meet on television, and uh, the commentators were talking about this one swimmer. The camera zoomed in, and they noted that his eyebrows, he had shaved his eyebrows. And they said that uh, some swimmers will do that to reduce drag. Now, there's a debate among swimmers whether that really gains you anything at all, but I, I was thinking, putting myself in the, in the head of this, this swimmer, this elite swimmer, you know, he's thinking, maybe if I can shave one-tenth of one second off, that might mean the difference between winning and losing. And so he went to that degree to reduce drag, to reduce uh, friction so that he could glide through the water. I always find it fascinating how athletes uh, who compete at the very highest levels of competition uh, will look for any edge that they can get, especially when it comes to, to reducing drag, whether that's swimming or running or cycling or, or rowing, whatever it is to make, make it uh, possible to go just a little faster. Um, we're wrapping up a series today that we've called Untangled. It comes from a word that Paul spoke to Timothy, a young pastor, when he said to him, anyone serving as, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, uh, but seeks to please his commanding officer. And that's an analogy that, that he's using there with Timothy to say that we have, we have this commanding officer, we are loyal to, to Jesus, and we don't want to get caught up with anything that's going to hinder us in our walk with him. And what we've shown in this series and talked about a little bit is that one of the things that can hinder us in our spiritual growth and development, our walk with God, is how we handle stuff, how we handle money and the, and the material things of this world. It can be a great temptation. It can be, as we saw in one of Paul's words, it can be a trap that keeps us from um, leaning into following Jesus all the way. 
And here in 2 Corinthians, Paul uses, um, when Paul uses really strong language or he chooses an adjective that's especially strong, I always lean in a little bit because I know he's really getting at something important. And, and here in this passage, he's, he says, you all excel in so many things. He says, but see that you also excel in this grace of giving. And I think, wow, that's, that's strong language. See that you also excel at this grace of giving. I suspect every one of you here, you excel at something. Uh, maybe you, you excel at, at cooking or you have that one dish that's just amazing, like better than anything anyone has ever made. Or maybe you, you, in your work, in your job, you really excel at a particular portion of your occupation and what you do. Maybe you have a hobby that you really excel at, like my tomato growing. I'll bring them, show them to you one day. Um, it may be uh, some other kind of hobby. Um, maybe you have a, you know, you're an athlete and you excel at that particular sport or in this one event. I don't know. Maybe you excel at binging at Netflix. I don't know whatever it could be, but something you excel at. And Paul says, see also that you excel at this grace of giving at this thing called generosity. So you may be asking why. Well, let's, let's, let's answer. I want to answer two questions. Today. The first is why. Why should we excel at giving? And secondly, practically, how do we do it? But what I want to share today is whatever you excel at, make sure that you also excel at giving. So why? Why should we excel? Well, Paul gives us some reasons here. Let me give you a little background to this passage we're looking at today in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. The thought, the, the conversation that he has here with the Corinthian church goes on for two chapters, all of chapter 8 and 9. We're looking at, at the first part. And I was trying to think about this. I don't know that I've ever pre preached on this passage. Uh, I've, read about, I've read it many times, but I don't know that I've ever taught through this. Uh, and it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating thing. The, the, the background to the story is that... Um, there was a drought in Israel, the Middle East, and it resulted in famine. It was about year 46, 47 AD. It was widespread, and it caused a lot of misery, a lot of suffering in that part of the world. Crops failed because of the drought, and uh, there was a famine. So Paul goes throughout the Mediterranean world in the Gentile churches to raise a special offering to send it back to the Christians at Jerusalem, Mother Church, where it all began back in Jerusalem. Now, he had a number of reasons for doing this, but one, undoubtedly, as he says here, was to bolster this tie between Jew and Gentile. For all of history, Jews and Gentiles were at odds with each other. They wouldn't even associate with each other. But here, Jesus creates this miracle, this thing called the church, where everybody from all kinds of backgrounds come together and is, are one in Jesus. And now for the first time, Jews and Gentiles are worshiping together. So he, he thinks this would be beautiful and richly symbolic if the, the Gentile churches raised an offering and gave it to the poor who are suffering from this famine. So it's, a, it's an appeal for famine relief. Um, and he has gone throughout the, the churches that he started uh, raising this. And you read about it in several letters. Well, you'll, now that you've seen it, you'll, you hear about this, you're going you're gonna to begin to see it in several of Paul's letters. Well, here's what happened. Cor Corinth, the church at Corinth, was the first one to raise their hand and say, we'll do that. Now, Corinth was a very wealthy port city. A lot of, lot of wealth there. And they said, yeah, we were in. Well, a couple years passed and they don't give. 
So it puts Paul in this kind of awkward position. You know, like, oh, okay, they said they were gonna give, the need is great, but they haven't followed through. What do I do? So he skillfully, beautifully, sensitively, and graciously comes to them in this letter to say, okay, guys, it's time to pay up. But he does it so graciously. Um, let me read this, the first, his introduction to this, all right? He says, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded, or you could say begged us, for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God to us also. So what Paul does here is he, he gauges in a little friendly competition. And he says, y'all made this great pledge. Well, let me tell you about what the Macedonian churches have done. And he says, out of their great poverty, they begged us. He went around saying, asking churches to give to this effort of famine relief. But he didn't go to the Macedonian churches because they were very poor. Now, we are not told why. We know that Macedonia was actually a pretty wealthy region, rich in natural resources. The best explanation is that they were suffering under persecution. They had had their property confiscated. Many of them had lost their jobs. And so they were in poverty because of their faith in Jesus. So Paul chose not to ask the Macedonians to give to the offering. They found about about it and said, hey, wait a minute, Paul. Hey, 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 we want to be part of this. What are you doing leaving us out? He said, no, you guys, you guys are struggling. You're, you're so poor right now. No, 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 no. And it says they begged and they gave. And so Paul kind of very playfully puts the one against the other and says, you ought to see what these folks have done. Now, just to give you a setting, let me show you the map. This is, um, you would recognize it as modern day Greece. And uh, the two regions here um, that Paul is talking about, uh, you see Corinth, there's the, uh, the city right across from Athens. Corinth was a port city. And uh, two letters from Paul are written. He founded that church. And then you go up north, that is Macedonia. There are three churches you might recognize from the New Testament. There's Berea, Thessalonica, and Philippi. Paul founded all three churches in those cities. Uh, he wrote letters, uh, to, two letters to the church at Thessalonica and one we call Philippians to the church at Philippi. That's the area of Macedonia. And for a long, long time, there was this rivalry between the Macedonia and Achaia where Corinth was located, all right? In fact, the, the people who lived in the South called the folks in the North barbarians, okay? They had some, some real you know, animosity at times towards each other. Sometimes it was just friendly competition. And so he's saying, you know, these folks who have so little have given so much and he holds them up as an example. It kinda like, it'd be kind of like me saying, hey, Cape Girardeau folks, folks in Jackson have really stepped up. Let me tell you what they have done. They might just kind of get you going just a little bit. Paul does that. And I just love how playfully he does this. And he uses this as an inspiration. You know, I find it inspiring whenever someone gives. But when someone's poor and they give, whew, something that I'll never forget. My first mission trip, first time I left the country was in 1998. I went on a trip to Rio Bravo, Mexico, which is right across from McAllen, Texas 
We used to go twice a year, LaCroix, we would send teams to a clinic there. And this clinic would provide free medical care to anybody in that town. This town, it was like a town of 60,000 people, was the only free medical help available. And folks would start lining up at four in the morning. So we'd send doctors and nurses and other folks who would be there. And then also we would send construction crews and we would build casitas. A casita is a small house. And they weren't really much bigger than, than a shed by American standards, okay? But for people in this village to have this little addition to their house was God's. So I'm on this one crew trying not to make a mess of things because I'm not actually a very good, handy kind of person, but we're building this, this casita. Um, and I got to know the, the mother of the house. There's a, a mom and, and her, her husband and three kids. Never met the husband. He was working uh, whenever we were there. He was off working. Uh, but, but her name was Julieta. Julieta um, was such a gracious host and she was so thankful our team was there and was just, just a- absolutely delightful. We had the, the, the guy who was in charge of the project was very fluent in, in uh, English and Spanish and so we were able to talk. And we learned that, that Julieta had, a, had this little cart and she would make tacos and she would go through town and she would sell her tacos. And one day for lunch, she served us and to this day's best tacos I've ever had in my life. It was utterly amazing. And we learned that Julieta and her, her husband, they love Jesus. And um, further in the conversation, they just shared, you know, um, that the, their situation and how they were working hard, but, you know, they didn't make much money. But she told us, I, don't, I forget how it came up. It's not like I asked this. She volunteered. She said, we make $1,500 a year. And, I, and, and then it comes out that they were tithers. I mean, $150 a year they would give to their, to their church. And she only made $1,500. And when I went to the store, milk cost the same there as it did here, and gasoline cost the same there and did here. They didn't have a car. And I'll tell you, when I saw that, that someone in that kind of poverty could give that generously, it forever changed how I see giving. Beautiful. That's what Paul does here with the church at Corinth. So why should we excel at giving? Well, it's the nature of grace. What he's saying, you received grace. When someone receives grace, it's only natural that you want to give grace. And it comes and is given in various forms. Now, Paul talks about this offering to the Romans. And in chapter 15 of Romans, he writes this, for Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they ought, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So he's telling the Gentile church, hey, you have met Jesus, you have all of the gifts of the Christian faith because of your Jewish brothers and sisters in Jerusalem, and now they're in need. So now you owe it to them to give. See, the nature of grace is you receive grace. You want to give grace. You want to show it to others. It's the very nature of it. Another reason why we should give, it's an expression of love. In verse eight, he says, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. 
So I say, yeah, I'm, I'm comparing your situation with the Macedonians because I'm testing the sincerity of your love. Why do we give? We give for love, for love's sake. When you all give and you inspire me how you give so generously, a Christmas Eve, it's love. You're expressing love to people you'll never meet. People around the world, children who are eating that meal today, people who are drinking fresh water um, in Mozambique, Africa today because of you, you'll, you'll never meet them. But what you've done is love. And when you give to God's work at the church, what are we doing? We're making disciples of Jesus. What's the greatest thing a person can do with their life is give their life to Jesus. You are loving people by helping them come to know the Lord and Savior Jesus. So why should we give? It's an expression of love. And then finally, Paul says this, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor, so that through his poverty, you might become rich. Now, some, there, there's so much depth to that verse, but one thing I want you to see is it, is it very clearly hints at this reality that Jesus, born at Christmas, always existed. See, we believe that Jesus is the son of God, that he was fully human, fully divine. And when he came into the world, he, was, he, he took on flesh. It was what we call the incarnation. We celebrated this at Christmas a couple months ago, that he always was. So it says, um, he stepped away. The creator of the universe emptied himself of his immense riches, entered this world and became a servant. Though he was rich, what rich in his connection with the Father who's for always existed. He stepped away from all of that. Why? So that you, who were poor, could become rich. Now, he's not talking material, mater, materially there, although many blessings God gives to, God gives to us are material. Um, he's talking about the spiritual blessings. Now, see, Jesus became poor. You know, he wasn't born in a palace. He was born in a manger, more like a cave, uh, amidst smelly, stinking animals. Uh, when he was around two years old or so, Herod, you know, just mad from, from jealousy and insecurity, tried to kill uh, Jesus and, and ordered that all the boys two years and, on, and younger would be killed. And so Mary and Joseph are warned in a dream. They get up, they take Jesus, and they head to Egypt. He, became, he becomes a, a refugee. And then in his ministry, he, he did not have a house. One time he was asked, someone asked about following him. He says, um, birds have nests and foxes have uh, holes in the ground, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. He didn't even have a house. Jesus became poor. And then the greatest act of servanthood is he took the cross and he, and he died for us. The, the cross was, was considered a shameful death. It was, it was so shameful that, that a Roman citizen by law could not be crucified. Only riffraff and those who were foreigners could be crucified. And yet he became poor so that we might become rich. Rich, how? All the spiritual blessings. If you know Jesus, you've been forgiven. Your, your, your sins have been forgiven. Everything you've done wrong, it's been wiped clean. And, and now God looks at you and he sees the goodness of, of his son, Jesus. You've been 
adopted as a son or daughter. You've been brought into the church. You've been given the Holy Spirit. You've been given spiritual gifts. You, and then all of the goodness and blessings that we have when this life is over, you're given the gift of eternal life. See, Jesus became poor so that you might become rich. Why do we give? Because Jesus first gave to us. He was poor. And he, I mean, he was rich and he gave up his riches so that through his poverty, we might become rich. It's a beautiful picture of grace. So Paul says, this is why we should do this. But here's what I, I, I believe many of us, I don't think there'd be here, many here who would disagree with that. Um, and yet, how do you step into uh, generosity? How do you really live it out? How does this actually become something more than a good intention? Let me give you two, two things to consider, two steps, if you would, um, to, to, to actually become generous. The first is found in verse five. Paul, he's writing about the Macedonians. Paul says, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. See that? The first step in generosity is giving yourself to God. Say, so here I am, Lord. Here's my life. I give you my life. We do this um, prayer outline. Uh, we've been modeling, uh, it's talked about in Lectio, we call it pray, P-R-A-Y, pause and reflect, rejoice, ask, and then why is, is yield. Uh, prayer should always involve yielding to God's will. That's what Jesus, when he was asked how to, when his disciples wanted to be taught how to pray, he said, pray this way. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Your will, your kingdom come. And I yield to that. I want to live according to your kingdom and to your will. So you yield yourselves. Uh, you yield it to him. Uh, I grew up in my home church. We sang a hymn often. Maybe some of you know it. Take my life. You know that? Take my life and let it be. A great old hymn. It was written by a 19th century hymn writer by the name of Francis Havergal. And, and she has this beautiful logic in the hymn where she, she builds upon this notion of consecration or giving ourselves, yielding ourselves to God. She says, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them be filled with ceaseless praise. Let them flow in endless praise. So she says, first of all, take my life. And then systematically with each verse, she yields more of herself to God. She writes, take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee, swift and beautiful for thee. And then she writes, take my voice and let me sing always only for my king. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee, filled with messages from thee. And then she writes, Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Take my intellect and use every power as thou shalt choose, every power as thou shalt choose. So you see, she says, take my life. And then she says, take my voice, take my lips, take my hands, take my feet, take my silver and gold, take my intellect. It's all yours. And so he says, they gave themselves fully to the Lord. First, first to the Lord. Um, and then he invites them into this, this action of, of generosity. So here's what I want to propose is take the next right step. So first, give yourself to God. 
and then take the next right step. I wanna speak to four groups of people today, all right? By the time I'm done, everybody's gonna be included, okay? Four groups of people. First, become a first-time giver. It's possible you're here and you've never really given. Um, It's true in our church, in every church, uh, every church across the country that I'm aware of, about a third of the people don't give. So become a first-time giver. It's this step. You got to start somewhere. You take a baby step and you give for the very first time. Maybe one of the, the greatest philanthropists who's ever lived in our country, J.D. Rockefeller. J.D. Rockefeller was very successful. He excelled at business and he excelled at making money, a lot of money. Um, and over 100 years ago, he was giving away millions of dollars. I guess in today's currency, it's probably billions. And one time he was asked, how is it that you can give away millions of dollars? And he said, I never could have done any of that if I had not first given the very first dollar. So I started. You got to start somewhere. So become a first-time giver, and you will not regret it. When Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than receive, he wasn't kidding. Now, maybe you have given before, or maybe your giving looks kind of sporadic. It's like when you get inspired or when some, you know, uh, something happens, a special offering at church like Christmas Eve, something, but, but it's not, doesn't look anything, doesn't look systematic, doesn't look regular. I would invite you to become a regular systematic giver. This is what Paul tells the Corinthians in his first letter. When they have said, yeah, we'll give, um, he writes this to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. He says, now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. This is this famine relief. This is this offering that he's taking here. Notice what he says. On the first day of every week, one of the foundational concepts of generosity in Scripture is that our giving to God comes first. First before our bills, first before everything else that we do. Why? Because God comes first in our life. And so when the tithe was taught, it was the first 10%, not the last 10%, not leftovers. It was the very first. It was honoring God by, by giving to Him first. So he says, on the first day of every week, notice that? Every week, become consistent at this. Every week, put aside some money so that when I come, no offering will have to be made. In other words, do this systematically. You know, giving is a spiritual discipline. It's a spiritual practice. It's like prayer. It's like worship. It's like serving, uh, silence and solitude, fasting. Like any spiritual discipline, you start, you may not be great at it at first. And then the more you practice it, the more it, it draws you closer to, to God. So become a regular giver. And then if you are that person and you look, and, and I believe the way to look at it is not by dollar amount, but by percentage. Scriptures teach that. And, and I would say then to, to those who are giving regularly, become a tither. And that's where you give 10%. Jimmy talked about that in, in our interview. Uh, and many in our church tithe. Um, the, the tithe is, is 10%. Um, and, and at first it can be daunting, especially if you haven't been taught that when you were younger. And I don't know what it is about the 10%. I can't explain it. I don't understand it. 
but this is what God set up. Maybe because there's something that happens in our spirit that, that the power of money over us breaks when we give at that level. Perhaps that's what it is. I don't know. I just know in the wisdom of God, this is what he says. Now, I also know some folks who don't like the concept of tithing will say, you know, that's an Old Testament thing. The New Testament doesn't talk about that. I'd love to have a whole sermon one day just on that topic, and maybe we will. Uh, but let's look at one thing that Jesus says. This is in Matthew's gospel. Now, he's having to take, call the Pharisees to count because they're, they're living very legalistically. Listen to what he says to these group of Pharisees. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Now, first, the Pharisees, man, they were tithers. They would tithe everything. They wanted to make sure they didn't leave anything out because they were all about the rules. And, and I have you ever, I'm planting seeds right now. I'm planting seeds for my garden that I'm going to be growing this year. And some of these seeds are so ridiculously small, you can't hardly, I mean, you know, you can't hardly see them. Herb seeds are like that, very, very small. Well, they would take, they would take their, their, their mint or their basil or whatever kind of, and they would meticulously count out 10% and give that uh, to, to God. And his work, he said, that, that's great, but you don't practice justice, mercy, and faithfulness. That's hypocritical. But here's what he says. He said, you should, what? He said, you should have practiced the former without neglecting, you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. In other words, you should show justice and mercy and faithfulness without neglecting the tithe. So if you want an endorsement for Jesus on tithing, there you have it, okay? Matthew 23, 23. But it is, again, it's a blessing to do this. Say, okay, Ron, I'm a tither. Great. Maybe for you, the next step, if your life is yielded, is to go beyond the tithe. Is to, is to, to go beyond the 10%. 10% was never meant to be a ceiling. It's really a floor. It's really where, where generosity begins. And I would say especially those who have been blessed with the things of this world. Um, maybe you have been blessed. And like, like Jimmy was talking about, we well, you don't, know, I want you to feel guilty about that. That's not the point. But Jesus is clear that those to whom much is given, much is required. So let me talk to my friends who really earn a good income. You, you make six digits. You, you, you do really well. You really, um, you're up or 1% in the world's population. Um, generosity for you and being faithful with that. I hope that you... I hope those words of Jesus are sobering for you. Much is given. To whom much is given, much is required. 10% just is not much sacrifice, especially when you get in those income levels. So what does sacrifice look like for you? 15, 20, 20, I don't know. I know that people in this church tithe and then they sponsor children and they give to this Christian ministry, they give to that missionary, they give to this cause because they've caught fire for the things of God and they know they've been given so that they can give to others. So I don't know where you're at. Maybe you've not given before, become a first-time giver. Maybe you've kind of done it so sporadically, become a consistent giver. Maybe it's a very small percentage, you become a tither and then go beyond the tithe. 
I can't tell you how to do that. In fact, the spirit here, I love how Paul approaches this, and this is the, the approach we've tried to take at LaCroix through the years. You know, I could lay on the guilt, man. I could try, I, we could try gimmicks and manipulation and all that stuff. We just don't do that. Notice what he says in verse eight, I'm not commanding you. We could, he's the apostle Paul. He's got a tremendous amount of authority. He doesn't. Grace can't be forced. Love can't be commanded. Following the example of Jesus is giving because he first gave to us. In fact, he goes on and says something similar in chapter nine where he's still writing about the same subject. He said, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. We don't want you to give reluctantly. We don't want you to give under compulsion, but cheerfully. Because this is what love does. Love gives. Now, we'll say this. When Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than receive, he really meant it. And those who have discovered the joy and blessing of generosity would say that. And I'll say this. Generous people don't regret their generosity. They don't. I've never, I've yet to talk to somebody who has been generous with the resources, the money God has given them, and they regret it. Friends, you and I will get to our deathbed, and there may be some things that we regret. But I'll tell you this, you will not regret what you gave away. You will not regret generosity. It is a beautiful thing. And you're not commanded. We're not using any kind of pressure. We just say, Submit yourself to the Lord and become generous people because it's a beautiful thing. Do you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for your walking away from the splendor and the riches and the glories of your life with the Father to come into this world to become one of us, born in a manger, um, not having a place to call your own. You became poor, and you did it so that we might become rich. Thank you. We thank you for the spiritual riches we have, for the goodness that's been poured out on us. Thank you, because it's all because of your poverty. It's all because of your sacrificial love. So Jesus, would you, would your spirit call us to step into that kind of sacrifice and love and generosity? It's so beautiful. May we be a generous people. And I thank you for the many, many generous people in our midst. And I thank you that they've discovered the joy of giving. And I Pray, God, that we would all yield ourselves to you. Hands open, surrendered, and willing to give as you have given to us. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're so glad you tuned in today. If you like this video, don't forget to give it a thumbs up and share it with anyone you think could benefit. 
We're excited about all the content we have coming up and can't wait for you to see it. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss out. If you're curious about LaCroix or if you're looking to take the next step on your journey with Jesus, check out LaCroixChurch.org. We hope to see you again soon.